Hi, my name is Marion Seymour, and this is my lockdown diary for UCT Radio, the soundtrack to your campus life. Last time, I promised that I was going to talk to you a little bit about my academic life and how things are going there. And um, I'm not going to lie, it's not been great. I've had far too many things on my mind, everything that's going with this country, um, happening in the US and now racism has become a global issue. I study political communication and race relations. So I wanted to speak to my brother. His name is Larry Seymour. He is a UCT alumni. I only recently found that he had three degrees. I was wondering what he was doing there the whole time. The reason that I wanted to speak to Larry is because he managed to get away with studying before all of the craziness happened. He was not there for Fees Must Fall. He was not there for the global pandemic. And he seems to be carrying on a regular life. But uh, as a black male who has lived in three countries that's currently hot topics of discussion, I really want to find out how he's doing today in this global crisis. So, Larry, welcome. Tell us, what was your degrees again? I don't know, you're doing stand-up comedy now. I don't know if that's related or what's going on. <laughs> um, I did a couple. I did Bachelor of Business Science, Finance major, um, but that included accounting and economics minors. And then I did a postgraduate diploma in accounting and then did uh, economics honors, uh, BCom economics honors. And that's related to your stand-up comedy? Unrelated whatsoever. That was what pays the bill so that I didn't have to be a starving artist. How are you doing in England? The last time I spoke on my podcast, I, I spoke about how horrifying the statistics are in the UK, especially considering our population sizes are quite similar. It's a trade-off, right? It's either you limit freedoms excessively to prevent the spread of the virus, which a lot of countries have done, or you give people a bit of freedom uh, and you end up with a worse incidence of the virus. So here, there's a lot of freedom. It's not really a lockdown. It's more like suggestions. <laughs> there's no military around. Nobody's going to stop you from doing stuff. And some people have been, you know, ignoring it. But that comes with a higher incidence of the disease. So it's a 50-50. I know South Africa is a lot more vulnerable, the population, because of the underlying diseases, like HIV and TB and that kind of stuff. So it probably was the right decision there. Whereas over here, decent healthcare system, I wouldn't say good, <laughs> but manageable and resources to be able to deal with this kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's different. So they are coping. There's no issues in the healthcare system because I heard some things about PPEs and nurses dying and all of that nonsense. Has that been resolved? It all just comes with having the virus. They, they had contingency plans. So I work with local government right now. They had a bunch of contingency plans, emergency hospitals and all those things and extra floors in hospitals and conversions. And they didn't have to resort to most of those because they were expecting the apocalypse, but it ended up just being okay. So even though the numbers are really bad, they're a lot better than they could or should have been if they didn't take some measures. So yeah, it's, it, it seems like it's managed. The, the, Daily infection and death rates are going down quite a bit, and life is slowly starting to return to normal. So some schools are back, some um, businesses are opening at the end of this month. It'll be like back to business as usual for businesses. So, yeah, it's getting there. Okay, so you, you do seem to be more chilled at the moment. I heard that the UK has jumped on this George Floyd situation and had protests there as well. What is the narrative about what's happening in the world? Because, you know, being in the UK, I didn't really think that it had had much to do with this. I know your experience in 
in all three countries, you might be specifically unique. What is the narratives around the marches, the conversations, you know, things like that regarding what's happening in the U.S.? I mean, the first thing I would have to say is that I don't follow UK media too much because I consider it to be quite biased. But I have conversations with friends and colleagues and there's a recognition that there's an issue in the States, that it's an issue globally. There have been marches organized here. So there, the last week, I think there were three and there's one happening this weekend as well. Um, it's a bit touchy because of the COVID situation. So that's coming into the narrative, whether or not it's okay, irrespective of the cause. But it's a general, I don't know, people know that it's a problem. They don't talk about racism much in this country, which is a sad thing. It's very subtle, very underhanded. You experience it and you feel it, but it's not part of the everyday narrative. So it's not big news here. You have to look at an underground social media sites or know people who know people, check out the hashtags. That's where it comes from. It's not headlines, at least from what I've experienced. The most I've discussed it is in private WhatsApp groups with a bunch of friends. I don't see a, a broad conversation happening in society, at least not from my perspective. Do you think it's because of all the other issues that's happening within the British government at the moment that it's just not a problem that you can be spending too much time on right now? It's just the British way. They don't acknowledge <laughs> things like that. They don't talk about it. It's, you know, colonial. We have, they have great relationships with the colonies. It's something that <laughs> I've heard a few times. I was like, yeah, I mean, you know, um, let's not get into that conversation, but uh, it's just not what they do. They don't confront things like that. So that's from my perspective as an outsider. You might have to ask somebody who's, you know, native to to um, talk about that. But that's what I've experienced. Now, the reason why I want to talk to you is because you, you have this experience of these three countries. Um, so the narrative in South Africa, there's a few go narratives going around. Your typical All Lives Matter, which we don't have to touch on because I think so many people are voicing those things. Then there's the conversation about, but we've got our own problems in South Africa. Why should we be worried about America? Because we haven't really done anything as a country, um, but generally... We, we have so many other concerns in our country. But what's interesting that, that has come up, that has gotten my attention, is that our police brutality and issue with mm. Collins Causa, who similar things that happened to and South Africa was not equally outraged. So what I'm struggling with, especially considering the, these are my topics for my, my honours and my master's now as well, is is holding on on what the actual issue is. So when I chatted to you before, you mentioned that the situation is different in the, the two countries, being a black majority country versus a white majority country. And the subtlety of the racism that you experience in the UK. What is your opinion being and your experiences about being a black man in South Africa versus the US? Is this a police brutality issue or is this a racism issue? Yeah, no, it's both. Um, it's racism because the police brutality seems to be directed towards certain ethnic groups. It's something that's, I don't know what is up with the, the cops in the States. So, you know, we lived there when we were younger for a couple of years and I went back for a few months in 2012 and I got like how to deal with the police training. They didn't say specifically as a black man, but, you know, there was an undertone of it. And the thing that struck me was just how common these things were. Now, I was there as a professional working for a large company. I had a lot of evidence and papers and support to help me deal with those situations. But it happened on far more regular basis than I'd experienced in South Africa. Just, you know, being being pulled over every once in a while to uh, 
to find out where I'm going, what I'm doing, if I know, you know, what's what. And when I spoke to other people about it, so I've got some friends that were in the States as well, and some friends that have been here um, these last couple of days, and we were all just like recalling some of these experiences. And different responses came out. Like some of my friends were upset because this has long been a thing and people are only getting outraged now. And it's actually ridiculous to in 2020 have to say something like Black Lives Matter. It should be, of course, it should be the same thing as water is wet. You know, why do we need this? Uh, and then and then sadness um, because, yeah, you have to say Black Lives Matter and it takes people getting outraged and protesting and all these things for people to even start paying attention. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely a racial narrative, um, but it's been played out through the police brutality um, sections. They've, I've, I saw some cop in the States talk about how it's about broader inequality. Um, police brutality is just an element, an aspect of it that's fueling the outrage. And I, that's true too. I think it's about picking your battles and dealing with the things one issue at a time, really. And this is the one that's at the forefront because literally you cannot just live your life as a person of color in, in the States um, without being considered to be some kind of a criminal at some point. You left corporate, uh, I was going to say America, but the corporate England because of the underlying racist issues. We're fighting battles on a regular basis. How do you get on with things in this current climate in 2020? The same way we've been going and getting on with things like the <laughs> the experience hasn't changed. It's just people's understanding and, and awareness of these things. The COVID is a, is a thing on in and of itself. It's, you know, you have to deal with. But the racism, the way you get treated, the way you have to work harder than anybody else to prove yourself and make sure that, you know, you're, you're on top of things all the time, not being able to slip. That's just been a part of life. And. My hope is that all of these things make those things a little bit easier. I know that at least from a police brutality perspective, they're trying to get laws changed in the States. But if we can continue these conversations about the awareness of the differences in society, um, in the way people get treated, then hopefully 2021 and whatever else comes on will be a little bit of a better place because people will kind of get it. They w they'll never understand it because as much as you try and explain it to people, they just you know, they don't experience it. And it's something that you have to kind of know or have something closer to experience. But my hope is that it's just going to get better from here on in. There's just going to be an awareness that these things do happen um, and that no matter who you are, it happens to you. One, one of the things I've really enjoyed, so I follow a lot of comedians and that kind of stuff to, you know, work in the comedy, um, is a lot of the rich and famous people coming out with very similar stories about police brutality or the way they get treated as a person of color. And yeah, it's just really cool to see that it doesn't matter who you are and where you come from. Like we're all the same, we're all fighting the same battles. Uh, so it's just about, you know, getting on with it, calling people on their nonsense and trying to make sure that you keep doing what you have to do in the system as it is until you can get it changed. So I wasn't planning on asking you this question, but you, you're really making me think now. One, I, I tutor as well. I don't know if you know that, um, but I tutor while I'm, I'm also trying to desperately finish my master's degree. <laughs> <laughs> and with this whole lockdown situation, online learning and everything, um, one of my students was saying, you know, what's the point? 
what's the point of, of going to school right now in this situation and trying to get your degree and and pretend like your life is going to go back to normal where there, there isn't a normal. Um, you've got three degrees from UCT. What is the point of keep going um, through all of these things? I mean, I don't understand the idea of that illusion of normal. Things are changing all the time, and the pace of change in the last five years has been ridiculous. Part of what I do in management consulting for, for a job is trying to get people used to that pace of change. If you get a degree in the right field, and today, actually, you don't need degrees so much as you used to before because tech is moving so fast that the degrees don't even keep up with, with the change. There's plenty of opportunities to go out and do things and make a contribution to society or, you know, support yourself in your life and, and make the changes that you want to change if you're not happy with the way things are. So I don't, I, I honestly don't understand the question in terms of what is the point, because we've always been faced with all kinds of things. Um, and the point is always whatever you, you want it to be. You know, if you want to help people, help people. If you want to be successful in business, go do that. You just have to find the right channel you to to do those things and the opportunities have always been there it's just a bit more challenging for some people <laughs> over others um but the requirement is always the same put your head down bust your ass you'll get there um as long as you keep on on the mission i think i'm gonna get my head back into my game write some things down uh, make these arguments and use the things that i've learned one of the people that I study is W.E. Bois. He was one of the first people to write about how it is not genetics that causes the social economic issues in black communities, but rather the structure of racism that perpetuates it. So um, I'm glad you, you spoke to me about your different perspectives. I will get back to my books, <laughs> write my papers, and um, see what I can do about supporting my first years in finishing this year. Thanks, Larry. No worries, Sissy, anytime. Have a great day, and I'll let you know when we're going to talk about socioeconomics in the future of the COVID <laughs> thing. I'll, I'll do some homework so that I can know what those <laughs> words mean. <laughs> All right, thanks, Guy. Enjoy your warm weather up there. Uh, ish. I'm in a hoodie right now, but that's what <laughs> that's what this place is. <laughs> so it's not freezing. It's just like slightly warmer than freezing. <laughs> no, it was actually quite good up until like yesterday. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye. See. You.